Good morning. Morning. It's good for us to be together, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm Amy, and Matt asked me to uh, read scripture this morning, and he was supposed to send me an email about what I was going to read and never got the email. <laughs> That's Can okay. I get an amen? Who's been there before? Uh, I didn't need another email anyway in my inbox. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 16, and it is about a woman named Lydia, and I find a lot of kinship with Lydia. Uh, she was a businesswoman, and she was a, what we'll find as I read, a seller of uh, linen, precious linen, purple linen. Purple's my favorite color. I even tried to find something purple to wear this morning, so you would remember Lydia. Um, But I think the most powerful thing about this scripture is the transformational power of Jesus Christ in an instant. So, Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 15. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Somathrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Let's thank Amy. I asked Amy to read that because she is a Lydia. And uh, she is that kind of presence among us, and we're really grateful for your leadership in this church, for the gifts that God has blessed you with, and for the way that you have cultivated those gifts and given them back to him. So thank you for the role that you play here with us. Um, Who was at the Durham Bulls game with us last night? Yeah, we had such a great time, y'all. All All right, so we were at the Durham Bulls game. I want to thank uh, Allison for getting that hooked up, for finding this, like, really cool hookup that we got with them last night, and uh, for Justin for pulling all those details together, as he so often does. And uh, when when we got there, it was, like, way cooler than I expected, okay? So I'd heard that there was going to be like a little buffet, but we get there and like they've got this section for us. We got all got a free hat, okay, which was pretty cool. And uh, and then this buffet with like hot dogs and hamburgers and like hot dogs. That's my love language, y'all. All right, I'm gonna be honest, okay. And uh, and then my other love language, I I, I speak two of them. Uh, my other love language, I opened. They had this fridge there, and I opened it, and it's like. Full of Diet Pepsi. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And some of y'all are praying for me right now, okay? All right, I'm open to an intervention. I'm, I'll listen to you, all right? So it was so much fun, though. And and the, the kids, like a lot of the Quest kids were there, and it looked like a scene out of the movie Sandlot, which is like the greatest movie ever. 
And um, so we just had so much fun. And I wanted to give away a hat, one of the hats that they gave us. So if you didn't get this uh, a hat last night, uh, this hat has been signed by the team. All right. Autographed by the team. You want it, Donna? All right. Come on, Donna. That is yours. Absolutely. Give it up for Donna. And one of the things I need to clarify about the signatures is that by team, I mean the hospitality team uh, in the lobby, which is actually cooler, all right? Those guys are undefeated out there, all right? Awesome. So we had so much fun last night, and uh, I just want to tell you guys, I love this church family, love the time that we get to spend together, and uh, thank you for the way that you embody community. Let me give you this encouragement. I want to really encourage you in this, that uh, you have such a spirit of community, and it's not um, a spirit of wanting to just consume community, of wanting community to just be handed to you, but you are engaged in it. You are not just consuming it. You are creating it, and uh, I want to encourage you to continue to do that. And if you've got an idea of a way that the church can be better connected to each other, we love your ideas. Uh, that does come with a warning, though, because most of the time, if you get an idea, then we're like, that sounds awesome. You're leading it. <laughs> okay, That's how ideas work around here. Right. But it is this culture of possibility. And if you feel something uh, laid on your heart, something that you're sensing a need for and you believe God is, is spurring you on to lead that, then please come talk to us. And we would love to unleash you in that and support you and encourage you um, in that. So, again, thank you for the way that you create community. Let me say this, too. Uh, thank you to those of you uh, who make events like last night possible for people who, who might feel a barrier because of cost or because of transportation. Uh, so thank you to John Lakus, who drove the van last night so that transportation wouldn't be a barrier uh, for people who drove the love bus. And um, thank you for those who, who give uh, so that others can experience events like that and have it, have it paid for if, if they're not able to do that. So uh, I just want to celebrate that in you, and I thank Jesus for you and the way that you are um, a community after his own heart, and you really embody that. All right, let's, let's dive in here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today, and uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us uh, in the same way that you were so active and moving in the rooting of your church at the very beginning for the way that this book is about you. Uh, we mentioned leaders like Lydia. We're going to talk about Timothy. We're going to talk about Paul and Silas. But this book is about you. We understand that. Jesus, you are the central figure. You are the author and the lead character at the same time. Holy Spirit, you are the one that is moving through this book and continuing to speak to us. This is not just dead history about what you did once. This is about what you're continuing to speak to us and continuing to accomplish in this world. So we're open to you. We ask you to lead us today, and uh, we are yours. We're humbled by you. We're humbled by the opportunity to be led by you, and I pray that you would speak for us today and speak to us. To your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so here we are, Acts chapter 16. Uh, this is after the life and ministry and death and resurrection and then ascension of Jesus. 
When then the Holy Spirit of God is poured out on those first believers, the disciples, and they become this movement that today we call the church, the people of God in the world. And as the Holy Spirit unleashes his strength and power, not only on them, but within them, the very presence of God living in every believer, we are the moving, breathing temples of God in this world everywhere we go. So the Holy Spirit poured out and filling the believers as he launches this mission in the world known as the church. In his earliest days, the church uh, was there, mostly concentrated and headquartered there in Jerusalem. Uh, But then we get this moment where that changes. There's a person named Saul who begins to persecute the church. Uh, He is so passionate and so zealous for the law of Moses. And in the name of God, he begins to persecute this upstart movement of the followers of Jesus known as the church. And, And even to the point of overseeing the death, the murder of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, the first person to give his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. But then Saul, the one who was persecuting, the one who was oppressing, has a miraculous experience, an encounter with Jesus that changes his life forever. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is made new, completely a new creation in Christ, as he will later write in one of his letters. He experiences the salvation of God, the grace of God that redeems him and completely turns him in a different direction. And he goes from being the persecutor of the church to being the greatest missionary that the church has ever seen in its history. At the beginning of that missionary movement, he and his friend Barnabas are sent out. Uh, The church lays hands on them there at Antioch and sends them out as missionaries. What God does through their leadership in Antioch and beyond is begins to open up the doors. What what mostly was concentrated as a Jewish movement because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah that they had been waiting for. So it was concentrated mostly as a Jewish movement. But as the grace of God began to spill over those walls and spill over those borders and began to engulf the world, non-Jewish people began to come into the church and experience the grace and transformation of Jesus. Some of those who were in the church and were zealous and passionate about the history and the tradition and the law of Moses felt that in order to become a Christian, then first these non-Jewish people needed to become Jewish. And so this great question comes up. To be a Christian, do you have to become Jewish first? Do you have to be Jewish in order to be a Christian? Do you have to be circumcised as that sign of God's covenant with his people, that historic sign? Do you have to follow the law of Moses? And Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James, as these early pillars and foundations of the church, took a bold stand and said no. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. And they refuse to put any greater burden on those believers. James is the one who becomes the voice as they write this letter that goes out to the churches. And he says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Love that. In such harmony with the Holy Spirit, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And James says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit And to us to not put any greater burden on you. It's beautiful. So Jesus is seen as the fulfillment of the Jewish law. 
we no longer have to fulfill that ourselves. We never could. We could never do that on our own. And Jesus, in his death on the cross, accomplishes for us what we could never have accomplished by our own strength. It's through the grace of Jesus and faith in Jesus, in Christ alone, that we are saved. Not only is he the fulfillment of the Jewish law, but he's the fulfillment of all of the Jewish hope. Every promise that any prophet had given, any promise that was wrapped up in any of the covenants that God made with his people, all the way back to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, these core covenants that God made with his people, Jesus fulfills them all. And all of them were pointing ahead to the arrival of Jesus. And we now live in a new world because of what he has done for us. So it's in that strength now that Paul hits the road once again. We find him on the road again, beginning his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. What we're going to be looking at today and really digging into today is how the Holy Spirit advances the gospel. We're going to be looking at Paul, but once again, we've got to keep coming back to this root that this is really about what the Holy Spirit is accomplishing and what Jesus is accomplishing as he is pushing this movement forward in his name. It's always about him. It's always about him. So today we're looking at how the Holy Spirit advances the gospel. And we're going to look at four different frames that we find in this story in uh, Acts chapter 16. So let's start with the first one. Frame one is this, moving forward, moving forward. One of the ways that the, that the Holy Spirit advances the gospel is through what we see right here. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Here we meet someone named Timothy who becomes a partner uh, to Paul in the ministry. Here's what it says. When Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, these were places where he had already been on his first missionary journey. And now he's going back to check in on these churches. Where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a, a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. All right, so that's our first introduction to Timothy. And uh, what we will later find out about this young man, Timothy, uh, scholars think he was probably about in his teens at this time. Uh, later, we're going to learn that not only was his mother a believer, but his grandmother was a believer as well, a leader in the church and uh, under Paul's ministry. And so he's got that kind of he's got that heritage that connects him to Paul. Paul has that relational connection to him. But Paul takes Timothy under his wing and Timothy becomes like an apprentice to Paul. All right. So all you Star Wars fans in the house, you just smiled a little bit. OK. Um, so he becomes like this apprentice to Paul, and he learns this trade of mission of being a missionary and this trade of ministry from Paul. And he becomes more than just an apprentice. Later, Paul will say that he becomes like a son in the faith for him. And there's this deep and genuine tenderness that Paul has towards Timothy. There's this beautiful, genuine relationship between the two of them. And Paul cultivates his gifts, invests in him, encourages him, and empowers him to lead. In, in 1 Corinthians, in Philippians, and of course in First and 2 Timothy, these letters that Paul writes, he speaks about Timothy out of this deep affection. And it's beautiful to see. He invests in him and empowers him to lead. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit advances the gospel is to always have us thinking about what it looks like for the gospel to move forward. What it looks like for it to move forward. And really, it's about passing it down. 
And by passing it down, we end up moving it forward. Paul identifies this person in the next generation and he disciples him and he raises him up and he pours into him because Paul has such a grand view and clear view of the reality of who God is. At the same time, it helps him understand just how finite his ministry is going to be. And he knows it's got to go beyond him. And so he invests in Timothy uh, to make that happen. The Holy Spirit moves the gospel forward through genuine relationships. He always does this. This is the way he works. He moves the gospel forward through genuine relationships. Why? Because the gospel is relational. It always has been. It's always been about a relationship. It's about your relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. It's about your relationship with your neighbors and, yes, even your enemies. If the gospel is not affecting those relationships, then I'm not sure what it is you're believing, but it's certainly not the gospel. It's not the reality of the gospel because the gospel is always relational. I don't care how well you can debate the finer points of theology if it hasn't made an impact on your life and if the people around you are not affected by it, then has it really taken root in your heart so that it could work its way out through your life? The gospel has always been relational, and it always will be. It's about your relationship with God. It's about your relationship with others, and it always spreads along relational lines. This is one of the ways that it's moving forward is Paul is raising up Timothy and passing it on. We get an interesting statement made uh, in the next few verses here as we learn more about Timothy. One of the things it says is this, that Paul uh, wants to take him along as his missionary partner and to bring him along on that journey uh, with him. It's Paul and Silas and Timothy now uh, being brought along with them. And it says that because he's taking Timothy with him on this missionary journey, uh, he, he makes sure that Timothy becomes circumcised in order to go on that journey with him. Now, what just happened in the chapter before In Acts chapter 15, and what happened in the couple of chapters before that? We just established that it's not through any of those works that we do that we're saved, right? It's not through the keeping, our keeping of the covenant, our keeping of the law, our observing of those traditions that we are saved. So why does he do this? Is this Paul flip-flopping? Is this Paul being inconsistent? Is this Paul maybe caving after this fight that he's just won? No, it's not that. All right. This is still not about salvation for Timothy. All right. Paul is not saying in any way, Timothy, in order for you to be in Christ, you must first be circumcised. That's not what he's saying at all. This is not about Timothy's salvation. All right. It's not required for salvation, but instead It is something that is surrendered for mission. It's not required for salvation. Instead, it's surrendered for mission. It's not for Timothy's salvation. It's about the salvation of others. And Paul has this strategy that he follows time and time again. He goes to the major cities, to these cultural centers, Because of the way that the Roman world was set up, it's this brilliant strategy. And we hear that, we're going to hear that about Philippi, that it is this uh, this Roman colony and this leading city in the region, it says. 
Paul goes there because he understands that if an idea can take root in one of these cultural centers, in one of these leading cities, then that city's influence ends up spreading out to the region around it because of the Roman road system and other things like that. It ends up being an influence that spreads out to the region around it. So he goes to these leading cities. But what does he do when he first arrives in these leading cities? Time and time again, he goes to one place first. Anybody have a guess? The synagogue. Exactly. The Jewish gathering place of worship. This Jewish uh, center for community and faith. And he would go there. Why? Because he would go to deliver the promise that the Messiah that we have been waiting for, for our whole existence, has arrived. The good news, the hope that we were promised through Adam and Eve, the hope that we were promised through Noah's rescue, through the covenant that God made with Abraham, through his deliverance out of slavery that he brought us out of through Moses, this king like David that we have been waiting for, he has arrived. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the fulfillment of our hope. So he goes and he announces that hope in the synagogue first. And then he goes into the other public places to preach the hope of the gospel. So why does he circumcise Timothy? Because he's going to start in the synagogues, and it's for the sake of mission. And so he wants Timothy to be able to go into the synagogues with him. And he doesn't want for there to be any wall and any barrier for the Jewish people to be able to receive the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, the arrival of their Messiah. It's not required for salvation. It's surrendered for mission. It's not about Timothy's salvation. It's about the salvation of others. I have a question for you, something that I want you to think about to reflect on and to act on two questions for this section right here number one who is your timothy who is your timothy if the gospel advances along relational lines then who are you discipling who are you pouring into passing it down so that the gospel will continue to move forward it always moves along relational lines who are you pouring into Uh, if you need a structure for that and I want to encourage you to stop by the next, uh, the next steps table and ask about our bands. All right. Now, when I say band, I'm not talking about the musical band that was up here today who did a great job leading us, by the way. Let's thank them for that. Thank you for your heart and soul and the way that you lead us. But not that kind of band. All right. But band as in tight knit group of people banding together. So this is a part of our ecology of discipleship that we have in this church. There are many parts of our discipleship path, and not every one of those parts is going to be where you are right now and what you need most in your life. But if this piece of it is what you need right now, a band is an intentionally intensive discipleship relationship. All right, it's a very small group. All right, it's not a group that anybody can just drop in on, but it's established at the beginning of a semester or beginning of a year, usually. And it's meant to last for at least a year together, uh, where three to five people are in these intense discipleship relationships with each other, encouraging each other, sharpening each other, cultivating growth in each other. If that's something that you are interested in and you feel like would be a helpful structure so that you can pour into a Timothy or maybe you are a Timothy to have a Paul pour into you, 
then, then stop at the next steps table and ask about that. Another thing is this. Uh, our friend Sarah Propes, who helps out with the youth group and is one of our college students, she came with a great idea to us. And uh, it's this idea that she's calling Adopt a Heal. All right? Adopt a Heal. And so when our students return in the fall, some of you are here uh, with us through the summer. We love having you with us through the summer. Uh, but when the wave of students come back in the fall, one of the things we're going to try to do is pair up several students with different people within the congregation. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a family, maybe a young couple, maybe you're a single person, whatever, whoever you are. If you want to be a part of pouring into that next generation and someone who's younger than you and making that connection across generational lines, then we want to encourage you to be a part of that. That might be one of the ways that you find your Timothy. So number one, your Timothy. And number two, this is a more difficult question. What will you surrender for moving the mission forward? What will you surrender for moving the mission forward? What is the Holy Spirit pointing out in your life that is saying to you, you know what, this thing in your life has actually been a barrier to the gospel moving forward beyond you. You've experienced the hope of Jesus but I'm going to need you to drop this thing out of your life, to surrender something out of your life so that you can cross that barrier into the lives of other people and begin to share the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the mercy and grace of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus with other people. What is it in your life that you feel like might be hindering the, the further movement of the gospel beyond you and into the lives around you? Are you willing to surrender that? For the sake of moving the mission forward. Pray about that. Wrestle with that. The next frame is this. Uh, the next frame is this idea of waiting on his yes. How does the Holy Spirit advance the gospel? By waiting on his yes. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 16. In verses, we're going to look at just verses 9 and 10. Uh, in Acts chapter 16 real quick. All right. Uh, so in verses 9 and 10 it says this. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, here's what's going on in this section. Uh, Paul had experienced the Holy Spirit's no multiple times. After that successful first missionary journey that he had, and now he's setting out on this second missionary journey, for some reason he keeps running into these walls. He keeps running into this, this spiritual block where the Holy Spirit is blocking him from going into these places where he wants to go, where his strategy thinks that he should go next. And for some reason, Paul and his team that he's pulled together, they keep hitting these walls, they keep hitting these blocks, and they don't understand why. But they wait on the Holy Spirit's yes. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to him through a dream. There's a person who's, who, from another region, from Macedonia, who says, come over to us and bring this message to us. And as they wake up, he says, they concluded that that's what God wanted them to do. Good call, all right? Good call. If God shows up and tells you to do something in a dream, okay, pray about that. All right, awesome. So um, that, that's what happens. And so they go 
to this place of Macedonia. And they cross this next geographical border to take the gospel to that place. Here's what's interesting about that. Paul's strategy was to go where it made sense. All right, Paul's strategy was to go where it made the most sense. He already had one missionary journey under his belt. He kind of had that experience. He knew what he wanted to do. He was going to follow a similar pattern, but he kept running into this resistance that he sensed to be from the Holy Spirit. Paul's strategy was to go where it made the most sense. The Holy Spirit's strategy was to go where it made the most impact. He wanted to go where it made the most sense. The Holy Spirit wanted to go where it made the most impact. Now, here's the deal. If Paul had continued on his original plan of going back to churches where he had been before and going to some of those places in a similar region then the gospel would have never made that leap, or it would have. But through Paul, at that moment, it was not going to make that leap. And this is what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in him and through him, to make this leap that had not yet crossed Paul's mind. It was not a part of his strategy, but the Holy Spirit knew he wanted to take him to this place. What Paul had already established in that region where he wanted to go back again, it was going to continue to spread to that region. But the Holy Spirit was challenging Paul to go into a new place and to break new ground where the gospel had not yet taken root. And what happens by Paul listening and being obedient, not going where the Holy Spirit didn't want him to go and saying yes where the Holy Spirit did want him to go, then it crosses over into Europe and the gospel takes root in an entirely new region which actually sets into motion who Paul ends up becoming as a missionary. Later, he'll say, I did not want to go to places where somebody else had already laid a foundation. I wanted to go where there was no foundation, build one. I wanted to be this apostle, breaking new ground into new places. And that's what the Holy Spirit keeps leading him to do. Paul's strategy was to go where it made sense. The Holy Spirit's strategy was to go where it made the most impact. What about for you? Look around. There are things that maybe make the most sense for the path of your life. But maybe there's this nagging sense of need that you see. And for some reason, even though it seems like it would make the most sense for you to go in one direction, it seems like the Holy Spirit is maybe pulling your path into a different direction. Your heart keeps carrying this weight of the need that you see. Maybe it's with a particular group of people. Maybe it's in a particular place. But for some reason, you can't escape it. To the others around you, it doesn't make the most sense. But to the Holy Spirit, he might be whispering to you, this is what's going to make the most impact. This is what I want you to use your life to do. And I want to accomplish it through you. Are you willing to surrender to that? Here's the questions for reflection and action on this one. Are you being obedient to his no? Are you being obedient to his no? Are you stopping when he says to stop, when he's blocking you? And number two, are you being obedient to his yes? Are you moving when he tells you to move? Frame three is this. The place of prayer. Amy already read this passage for us from Acts chapter 16. And this is where we meet Lydia. 
And uh, Lydia is this businesswoman. Uh, she's a person of high status, of wealth. She's an entrepreneur. And so Paul, when, when Paul and Timothy, and at this point we get the sense that Luke has now joined the journey because Luke is the author of the Gospel of Acts. And so there's this shift that happens in chapter 16 where in the middle of the chapter it goes from him talking about they, they, they to moving into this place of we. All right, so it seems as if Luke has now joined this journey with them. So it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, this team that goes over into Europe and, and takes the gospel to this new place. It says that they go, uh, when they get there, they go down to the river to this place of prayer. But I thought Paul always goes to the synagogue first. So why does he go to the river first and to the place of prayer first? Because of this, in communities where there weren't enough, where there wasn't a large enough Jewish community, uh, usually around 10 Jewish men, when there wasn't a large enough Jewish community to establish a synagogue in that place, instead, the believers would meet often by a riverside in a place that they would deem a place of prayer. And that would be a gathering place of prayer for them. So they come to this city. There is no synagogue. So instead, they go to this river, to this place of prayer. And there they meet Lydia. And it says the Holy Spirit opens Lydia's heart to the gospel, to the message of Jesus. And she is transformed. Not just Lydia, but her entire household is baptized into this faith. So this businesswoman, person of high status, of wealth, an entrepreneur, all of these gifts are converging together with an open heart and with a baptized life. And through her life, we see that she becomes the founding leader of the church in Philippi. On the ground floor, this business person, entrepreneur, who gets in on the ground floor of the Holy Spirit's venture of the gospel, she becomes this bridge by which the gospel enters Europe and makes its way to most of us because of that. This upstart movement took root in her home. And God sets aside Lydia as this leader in this community. We hear her mentioned in Paul's letters as well. We hear, we, we see how she becomes this leader in this church. Just a very quick side note here before we move on to the next part. This is something that's important. We got to say this, all right, and we need to grasp this. In the church, uh, Paul's words are often taken out of context to box women in and to undercut their giftings to lead in the church. Okay? <laughs> Paul's words are often taken out of context to undercut, to box women in and how they can lead in the church. But do not miss the fact that his actions in context, right here in this passage, show him unleashing women in the fullness of their gifts, empowered by the Holy Spirit to become leaders of the church. Lydia is the founding member of the church in Europe, and we celebrate that, and we celebrate that. To the women who are leaders in this congregation, to the women who are pastors in this congregation on our pastoral staff, to the women who lead and serve in discipleship, in worship, in teaching, in preaching, in so many different ways, in service behind the scenes and service up on the stage. Thank you for your leadership among us. Thank you for who you are, the way you lead. We would not be who we are as a congregation if you had not stepped forward. So thank you 
for the way that you lead among us. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> we celebrate Lydia for her role, and we want to be really clear about that. But one thing that we need to do before we move forward is this. We also can't miss a really important part of this, of what happens in this piece of the story. Before a church is ever born in Lydia's home, a change is experienced at the place of prayer. Lydia is changed as the Holy Spirit opens up her heart, opens up her mind, and a change starts. A shift happens. A heart opens where? At the place of prayer. At the place of prayer. I just want to say that I feel like the Holy Spirit is pushing us And over the course of this summer, I have felt that more and more clearly that as we move into our 10th year as a church in October, we'll be celebrating our 10th year. And as we move into our 10th year as a church, I feel like the Holy Spirit is calling us to set this aside as a year of prayer. And for us to become a people of prayer and for this to become a place of prayer. We wouldn't exist without it, all right? So I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying I feel like the Holy Spirit is pushing us to move it into more of a clear forefront place for us. So over the next several months as we get into new series in the fall and in the new year, you're going to see us come back that time and time again through our preaching, through our teaching, focusing us in on what it means to be people of prayer, what it means to be a place of prayer. If you want to join in with that, then we invite you to come uh, Wednesday morning, every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. Several of you have been a part of this. Uh, We have a prayer meeting right here in the varsity. We meet in the lobby. Sometimes we turn that into a prayer walk around downtown, and we invite you to be a part of that and, and help us move it into that place of becoming a place of prayer. But here's the thing. If that time and that place doesn't work for you, that's even better. That's even better because wherever you are then needs to become a place of prayer. All right. So maybe the Holy Spirit's pushing you to start something where you are. Okay. what if your cubicle at work becomes a place of prayer? Becomes a natural rhythm of your day as you're facing difficulty, as you're facing things, as people come to you, share things that they're struggling with. Your cubicle becomes a place of prayer that people know that. And maybe they don't even know it. Maybe it's just under the surface. That would be beautiful as well. Maybe your classroom needs to become a place of prayer. Your carpool, your bus ride, your, your run, your walk, whatever it is you do, your home becoming a place of prayer. Even better than that, what if you become a place of prayer? What if you become a place of prayer? Everywhere you go, awake to the reality that the Holy Spirit, the very presence of the living God is alive in you dwelling in you, empowering you, and you walk in communion with that, and other people sense that, and they're brought into that reality in your life. Questions and reflections for, question, for reflection and action here. Where is your place of prayer, and are you becoming a place of prayer? Let that challenge you. Here's the final thing here. This last uh, scene, frame four is breaking free. Breaking free. So something happens here as Paul and and Timothy and Silas and Luke continue their ministry in Philippi. uh, They begin to get followed around. It says it it identifies her as a a slave girl. 
a young slave girl. So she is a slave to these people who are using her to make money in that community. It says that there's this evil spirit in her that gives her the ability to speak people's fortunes. And so they are making money off of her, oppressing her and using her to make money for themselves. And so this young slave girl keeps following Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke around and keeps proclaiming this person who's supposed to be telling fortunes, but but keeps proclaiming these people are sent here from God. They have the message of God. They're telling us the way of salvation, which would be a pretty good introduction if you're wanting to speak the gospel somewhere, right? But she just keeps doing this, and, and it's so loud, and, it, and we get the sense that Paul gets annoyed, all right, and turns around and casts this evil spirit out of her so, so she'll leave them alone, okay? So she is set free from that. These people lose their way of income, and when the kingdom of God and the, and the economy of this world ever clash, you're in trouble, All right. And when the allegiance to God and an allegiance to things that really become our gods and our idols meet head on, there's always trouble. And that happens in this moment, too. These people rally against Paul and Silas and they end up getting them thrown into prison. So here's what happens next here. We're wrapping up, I promise. All right. Verses 23 through 31. Here's what it says uh, as they are as they are in prison. All right. Verse 23 through uh, 31. After they had been severely flogged, Paul and Silas, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. In other way, in other words, there's no way out. All right. And just doubling down on that imprisonment and that bondage of them to make sure that they stay put and nothing happens to them. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul in silence. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Amen. And listen to the answer. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Because redemption always has a ripple effect that follows behind it. When they spoke the word of the Lord to him and and to all the others in the house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family We're baptized. Amen. Come on. Amen. Powerful. Powerful. Look what the gospel does. Look what the power of the Holy Spirit accomplishes in this. In the completion of this scene that brings this this chapter to a close and the way that we're looking at it today brings it to a close. We see, once again, another person added to the story who is impacted by the hope of the gospel. We've got Lydia, who is high status, a person of wealth and influence. We've got a slave girl who is of no influence whatsoever, seen as completely insignificant. 
is being oppressed so that others can make money off of her. And we've got this jailer, someone who is somewhere in the middle, an official of the government. And we see the gospel crossing all these barriers, not only going into a completely new place, but going to new people and bringing together in one family all of these people from such different backgrounds. The social economic diversity of the kingdom is clear in this passage. I want to encourage you because that's one of the things that you encourage me most in when I look at this congregation and the way that diversity is so beautiful within this congregation. And we want to affirm once again, there are no classes in the kingdom. There are no classes in the kingdom, only family, only family. Donna said that for us so well at the beginning. Here's a question for you. Do you remember your prison break? Do you remember your prison break? And that moment when the power of grace broke into your life and the chains fell off. That earthquake of grace that shook the chains loose. The doors flew open and God invited you into this life of freedom through the power of and the grace of Jesus Christ. Do you remember your prison break? Be encouraged by that today. Maybe today is that day for you. And right now, even in this moment, as you hear the name of Jesus preached, as you hear the name of Jesus sung, as you hear the name of Jesus lifted up, and even more than that, as you see the love of Jesus lived out by the people around you, something about the foundations of that prison seem like they're starting to give way. And the Holy Spirit is breaking in in your life. Allow him to throw the doors wide open. Let the chains come off and be free. And walk in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room, another part of the beautiful diversity here. Some of the people in this room, you came to faith in prison. This story of Paul sounds really familiar to you. We might be talking about it from more of a metaphorical place, but for you, you're like, no, actually, that happened to me. I was in prison when I experienced the chains falling off of me. There was some prison chaplain who brought the hope of Jesus to me or some church who came to visit me and brought the love and hope of Jesus to me or a fellow inmate who shared with me the hope that they had in Jesus and freedom visited me right there in that jail cell. You had the same experience as Paul had right there while in prison and your chains fell off. The door to your cell might not have flung open, but you know you felt that earthquake of grace and you were set free. Now, some people might mock that in you, okay? They might mock that and they might question that moment in you and they might call it simply jailhouse religion. And say that you were in a tough spot so you found this easy way to kind of ease your mind and to have a crutch to lean on while you were in a difficult situation. But we know better than that. All right. We know better than that. What God did in you in that place is as real as what he's doing in you in this place. And we celebrate it. We're reminded that Christianity has always been a jailhouse religion. That some of the most beautiful theology ever written was penned behind prison bars. And to this day, that hope continues to set the prisoner free and to break every chain by the powerful name and blood of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that. For others of you, 
You have experienced the broken chains of addiction in your life. Undeniable freedom that came in an unlikely way. Others of you, you've experienced that at one time, but then you found yourselves in chains again. And you feel like addiction still has that grip on you. And you wonder if freedom was ever even real for you. Well, here's a word of encouragement for you today. This story we're reading about Paul being set free from prison. This wasn't actually the last time that Paul found himself in prison. The forces that were at work against him kept fighting. They kept battling against him. They wouldn't give up even though they had already been defeated. They kept fighting and they kept finding ways to trap him. But the power of God continued to walk with him and his grace is strong enough to break you out every single time that the enemy tries to box you in. Every single time. This wasn't the last time Paul found himself in prison and it wasn't the last time he found himself set free either. And the same is true for you. Grace is strong enough to catch you every single time you fall. Your story is not over. Addiction does not define you. Chains do not define you. Your sin does not define you. Grace does. And it gets the last word. I love the fact that Paul's freedom then also becomes the jailer's freedom. And he asked this question, how can I be saved? And that ripple effect of redemption, not only the jailer, but his entire family become believers in the hope of Jesus Christ. This is powerful. The jailer comes and he washes their wounds. This sign of compassion that he has for these people that have brought him this good news. He comes and he washes their wounds. And then it says this. It's an interesting word there. It says, and immediately after that, what happened? His family was baptized. I think it's powerful to think that maybe it was the same water used. This same water of compassion shown to Paul and to Silas. And then they turn around and use that to show compassion to him. And to invite him into the family of Jesus. And he experiences baptism. And he is set free in that moment. His entire family This is the hope that we have. The Holy Spirit is continuing to move today. The Holy Spirit continues to advance the gospel. And the hope of Jesus is crossing every single line. Continuing to move. And I'm praying that today for some of you, today is the day that the chains fall off. That the chains get broken. Just like we break this bread that represents the body of Christ broken so that we could be made whole. And we share today in this cup that represents the blood of Christ poured out for the salvation of the world, the blood of Christ. And it's through the power of his blood that every single chain is broken. We want to celebrate that today and we invite you to come and to celebrate the hope of the gospel given to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you are embracing that today, then Jesus is inviting you to his table. No matter what your background is, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you are invited into this family. There are no classes in the kingdom 
only family. And he's inviting you in. Come and experience the grace of Jesus today. There'll be two stations, one on this side, one on the other. And if you need a gluten-free option, that will be available for you right here. Come and receive the grace of Christ.